2 Kings chapter 18, verses 17 through 20. Then the king of Assyria sent to Tartan the Rabsaris, all these names, and the Rabshakeh from Lachish with a great army against Jerusalem to King Hezekiah. And they went up and came to Jerusalem. And when they had come up, they went and stood by the agduct from the upper pool, which was on the highway to the fuller's field. And when they had called to the king, Elikim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household of Shibna, the scribe, and Joah, the son of Ashaph, I've got that one wrong, Asaph, there we go, the recorder, came out to them. Then the Rabshakeh said to them, Say now to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, What confidence is this in which you trust? You speak of having plans and power for war, but they are mere words. And in whom do you trust that you rebel against me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word today, God. And Lord, just let your word just come and minister and continue to speak to our hearts in this house. Challenge us, exhort us, kick us in the hind end, Lord, if you need to, and have your way in our lives. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Got a little stuck this week with thinking about and reading some on Hezekiah from last week. Looking at this man of God and coming into the office of kingship in Judah, the tribe from which our Savior obviously comes from. And I want to just take a step back, maybe take a few steps back, or even we could say a few steps up, and just kind of get a a broader picture of what's happening here with Hezekiah, what's happened over the ages, what's happening still today, how God always preserves for himself a people throughout the ages. He preserves for himself a people that we would be worshipers of him. And when we begin to look throughout history, can't say that I'm a, a great student of history, but I read my Bible. And I've read a few good books over the years that summarize a lot of things. But you can begin to see over history how so many times 
God has preserved the world's freedom. God has preserved nations. God has preserved his people. There's been a lot of people, as you would know from your general school history, there's a lot of races even that, that have just vanished from the face of the earth. Secret cities that are discovered after millennia of being hidden. The rise and fall of many nations throughout history. But God is always kept his people. God has always reserved for himself a people to worship him. And God has preserved freedom today, freedom to believe. Not the same way necessarily all throughout the world as we know. We're informed on a weekly or sometimes bi-weekly basis on just firsthand on just the evolution of China in, in this modern, in our modern days, watching just one nation, a very firsthand study that's now a very modern day historical look at how a nation can go from being open to once again being very much closed to the world. Think about other nations, and again, on our, more on our Asian side, I, I often think about the Khans, Genghis Khan and all his sons. And, and there's some fascinating facts about the Khans and their conquest. And don't worry, we're not going to get stuck on history or the Khans. But there's one interesting point to know with them is that when the Khans were conquesting and conquering their known world, I mean, they still to date have conquered and ruled more land during their height than any other nation in time and history. And here's the fascinating thing, bringing it back to the sovereignty of God and God reserving for himself a people, is that as they conquered and as they began to ravish, obviously, China and different parts of the Asian world, and then their sons, the Genghis Khan's sons, begin to also conquer, never having lost a battle. Did you know that? The Khans... Never lost a battle, a major war that they set out to conquer. Why is it then that such a, such a powerful people filled with cavalry, very, very few foot soldiers, and in a time when there was not machinery, their entire army was assimilated and, and rode on horseback and the simple reason why such a powerful people did not in turn conquer the whole world and make the whole world 
just a bunch of cons and all of us be cons today is the sovereign hand of God upon this world. We know of the more modern ones of, of Hitler and the devastation and the massacre and the murder that took place. But even in such devastation and in such loss of life, God, throughout history, has reserved himself, his people. From 70 that went into Egypt, and if you haven't figured it out already, that today is going to be more of a, an exhortation going through some, some scriptures, but we're going somewhere with this. You go through Egypt and how God took 70 and 70 came into Egypt when they came from a time of a land of famine into slavery, which wasn't slavery at the beginning and how this 70 began to multiply like rabbits. Just multiplied to where next thing you know, not very long, 300 and 90-ish years later, you're, you're coming out with millions, millions. Go do the math on that. It's quite interesting. From 70 to multiplied millions in a few centuries. To Elijah, when Elijah, now we're at the prophets of, and we've spoken recently some on Elijah and, and Elisha, but with Elijah, how when he spoke forth his prophecy and God moved in such a mighty way that the next thing you knew, this man of God, this prophet was, was fleeing for his life because he felt like he was all alone. He said, there's nobody else. It's only me and surely this, this woman, Jezebel, is going to kill me. Right after a mighty move of God, it's, it's interesting. And just to quickly make a note about Hezekiah in the passage where we started with and combining or comparing it to Elijah's incident right there, fleeing from Jezebel, it's, it's, it's without fail that that oftentimes after a mighty move of God, after a miracle, after a mighty promotion, after a blessing from the Lord in your life, after God does something, it's, it seems to almost be calculated that you can just get ready for a shaking. You can get ready for it. You're like, you get on that wave and you're like, woo this is awesome. You know, you're just riding the wave. And then the wave crashes. Up on the mountain heights, down in the valley, he is there. And the Lord spoke to Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19. Well, first, let's read what Elijah said and see if you can identify with this. Elijah, in verses 1 through 4, just to, just to get a little expert, uh, excerpt out of those four scriptures, it says that Elijah flees from Jezebel and prays to die. Does anybody 
pray to die. Don't raise your hand. If you did raise your hand, go ahead and come to the altar. I'm serious. If you're praying to die right now, you make sure you, you, you make your way to these altars at some point today. Elijah was on the top of his ministry. He was on the top of life, speaking words that were happening. Miracles were coming to pass. Words were being, were being confirmed in his life. And next thing you know, he's praying to die. Yet the Lord speaks to him in verse 18 and says, Yet I have reserved 7,000. I have reserved 7,000. Right when you think you're all alone. Right when you think there's nobody else who understands. Right when you came off of one of the, the greatest highs. You rode one of the awesome best waves in your, your career or your family or your ministry or whatever it is. You're riding this wave and then, and now you're like in the dirt under the tree praying to die. And the Lord just comes and speaks and says, I've reserved myself a people. And obviously, Elijah was one of them, confirming that you're not alone. It's one of the beautiful things about being part of the people of God is that we're part of, we're part of a family of God. We're part of this, this heavenly tribe, and it's unlike any other tribe. It's unlike any other family cannot be matched or compared to any other family or tribe upon this earth. Though so many times we're feeling all alone, and God again says, I have set aside for myself a remnant. I have set aside for myself a people. Even when the Assyrians and the people of Israel, like the passage we're starting with today, in 2 Kings, the Assyrians who would come and, and they would look to Hezekiah and they would say, in what confidence? Why are you trusting in this God? What do you think he's going to do compared to what I'm going about to do to you? How do you continue with this trust in your Lord, and, and as many times the enemy and people who are trying to really not try to help us but try to hurt us would do, they're not speaking these words in, in confidence or confidentially. They're, they're saying them out loud so that all those who are sort of on the fence, all those whose trust in the Lord is not yet strong and stable, they, say, they said to him, can you please just lower your voice a little bit? Just say it a little lower. And when they said say it a little lower, they got all the louder. In whom do you trust people? Upon the walls, questioning their confidence in the Lord God. Keep in mind that this incident with Hezekiah and the Assyrians, the same with Elijah, now with Hezekiah, he just came off of was just coming off of a great move in his nation, a great move of God. We went through that whole dramatic scene last week of him crushing 
the bronze serpent to pieces. He was a leader that was willing to do that which leaders before him were unwilling to do. To bring blessing, to bring the people into the walk with God. And here he found himself just a short time afterwards having to, having to, he came down. And I don't know how that high was a hard high because he was doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. But you know that he took flack for it. You know that the people began to question, why are you destroying this relic, this antiquity that the great man Moses made with his own hands. And for those of you who were not able to be with us last week, you got to go 2 Kings chapter 18. And when Hezekiah came into office, he broke down the high places. He destroyed the wooden images. He destroyed the stone imaged carvings. And he ground to pieces the bronzen serpent on the staff that the man of God Moses had made for the children of Israel to look at. That which was once a blessing and brought revival became an object of misplaced worship. And that's where I want to go for just a few more moments today. When we start talking about how God has reserved for himself a people, the reservation is for a purpose. And the purpose is to worship him. To having a life that exhibits worship of Christ. It's not a life to just just enjoy and and be successful or suffer and, and continually go through trials. You, you should, if you're living right before the Lord, you're probably going to have some of all the above. You're going to get a little bit of it all. And the gospel of Christ will be through, through, it, through it all. But it was this misplaced worship of the people of God. So God was reserving himself, this people, as he's done today. And the people kept misplacing their worship. And we didn't highlight another major part that we're going to look at right now last week. And that scripture in 2 Kings in chapter 18, and I don't have it written, the actual scripture there, where it says, he broke into pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it. But listen to this. They called it Nahashtan. You only name something in your life that is really, really important to you. They gave this object a name. They put so much there was there was probably placards and there was gravings of of this not only the actual bronze serpent itself but when they would speak the name Nahashtan 
people would go into a, a state of reverence. Speaking the name of this, this graven image that was a blessing in a source of a revival from the past. They gave it a name and began to worship it for centuries. People's obsession with giving something a name. It was just to be an object that the people were to look to in faith. But part of that object becoming a graven image and a focus of worship was that the fact that the people named it and it began to grab the affections of their heart. You know, we can elaborate on names. We'll try not to get too serious and go too long on this, whether, it's, whether you're a deer hunter and you, you name all those deer on your camera. You know, there's, there's Crooked. You probably got a whole list of names, no, no names on the deer. There's Crooked. There's, cro you know, three-point Crooked antlers. There's six, you know, fishermen giving, a, we name our boats. Historians and preachers naming moves of gods and supposed moves of gods. People in pursuit of making names for themselves. Got to make a name for myself. Got to make a name for my family. There was something to it, and I can't, I can't say that I can grasp fully the ramifications of naming this bronze serpent, but there was something to the misplacement of their worship with naming this object that was simply something God used centuries before. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, we know, we know the name that's supposed to be exalted, where it says, therefore God has highly exalted himself and bestowed on him the name. Everybody say, on him the name. That is above every name. There's a reason why God, our heavenly father and creator, had to take Jesus' name and make his name higher, high above every other name. There's a reason for that. It had to, his name had to supersede our name. His name had to be bigger and higher and greater than all of our things that we've named in our life. All the things that have gained affection in our life. And, and of course, some of those things, we, you better name your child. <laughs> hey, it. No, here, here, for number one, number two, let's say number two, number three, your number one, there you go. I get all confused. I'm like, are you one of mine? <laughs> no, you can't just call them one, two, three. You know, I'm not talking about our kids. Come on. Don't, don't, don't get, let's not, you know. Hear me. Nahashtan. They, why is it telling us that? They called it Nahashtan, and that Nahashtan just simply means, it means this, this big bronze thing go look it up <laughs> this big bronze you know image Nahashtan. so it wasn't about the meaning of the name it was about the the affection that followed it and the worship that preceded 
over the centuries to come, which is why Hezekiah had to destroy that thing from the nation. Removing objects of misplaced worships from our heart. Not necessarily from our life. A husband could worship a wife inadvertently or on purpose. A wife, a husband, the parents, the kids, worshiping them. We're not talking about, it's not always a matter of removing them from our life because they're a blessing. God has put them in our life. It's not allowing our hearts to worship something that God was just and is using as a source of blessing and provision for us. The bronze serpent was just a, if they would have just kept that thing as a relic and as an antiquity, an antiquity you know, there'd been no reason to crush that thing to pieces. But Hezekiah took a page right out of Moses' book, he said, you know what? The man Moses made it, so I'm going to treat it in the same fashion as the man Moses treated that other just gold thing that the people began to worship. And when the people made the gold calf, when Moses was up on the mountain for too long and he came back down and he saw the gold calf, Moses said, grind that thing up. You know, I guarantee you didn't say, grind it up. I mean, Moses, I mean, after he just got finished throwing the Ten Commandments down, grind that thing to powder. And they ground it up. Now make them drink it. Go read your Bible. That's exactly what he did. He took that object of misplaced worship. He ground it to powder. Then he put it in their drink so that they were, had to drink it. So they were going through the desert, dropping that misplaced worship and letting that misplaced worship flow through their life. Coming out here, coming out there, all in its rightful place, just in the desert, on the sand, not as a place of erected worship, get grabbing our affections. Grind that thing up. So Hezekiah said, okay, Moses made it. So this is what the man Moses would do to it. He would grind it up. We begin to worship the creation. And not the creator. This is where Romans goes. Where Romans chapter 1 verse 24 and 25. It says, therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts. Everybody say lust of their hearts. To dishonor their bodies among themselves. Who exchange the truth of God for the lie. And listen. And worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. The source, the source of all sin, whether we want to get into the, to the hot topics or where we want to just keep it all nice and fluffy and, and, and just talk about some of the, the lesser evils in our world today. But the source comes back to the worship 
of the thing which was created instead of the worship of the one whom created it. It comes back to it every single time, whether it's the bronze serpent, whether it's your your husband or wife or children, whether it's your job, whether it's your, your bank account, whether it's yourself and looking in the mirror, whether it's some other icon, whether it's a, a, something that took place in your life and you've enshrined it, something that might have been good at one point. Peter stood up and said, oh, Jesus, this is good. Let us make a shelter. You know, one for, one for Elijah, one for Moses, one for you. And, and Jesus said, nothing. Ignored it. ignored it wasn't even worth comment just went on about his business shining forth his glory and next thing you know he was back in his earthly form just like didn't even like peter i'm like there you go again talking again really peter again can't you just be still and say nothing in my presence that would be okay too sometimes Because the history was that we would enshrine it, that on the Mount of Transfiguration, that shack, that that temple, whatever it was that Peter had in his mind and heart to do, that thing would certainly in the ages to come be a place that would be worshipped. Because man is prone to misplace our worship. Worship the thing which was created instead of the creator, exchanging the truth for a lie. Lust will rule our life if worshiping Jesus is not the rule of life. Having a heart that is being trained not in covetousness practices as it says in 2 Peter chapter 2, 14, but instead having a heart that is trained in righteousness and a heart that is trained in worship. It's Satan's greatest goal and oftentimes achievement in people's lives. Like in Matthew 4, 9, when he comes to Jesus said, all this I'll give you if you'll fall down and worship me. All this you can have. All this, 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 this. All this. All of the things created. All this. All this. Everything you can see and touch and smell and feel. All this I'll give you if only what? You give me your worship. Let's take the truth of worshiping in spirit and truth. Let's take and let's misdirect that and let's exchange that and let's misplace that. And worship me and, and don't worry, I'll make, it, I'll make it worth your while. You'll feel good about worshiping me. 
It'll feel really good for a while because there's pleasures in sin for a season. John 8, says, You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Continually attempting and trying to pull and gain margin, gain capital in your affections. It's not, a, it's not an all at once thing that Satan, it was, an all, it was an all in with Jesus. I mean, and I'm not to say that he does not do it all in at times. But Jesus was a different type of adversary, if you want to call him such, of Satan. He knew that he, was, he had to go. This was going to be his one chance. He had to go for the goal. He was trying to get all of Jesus and get him all at once. But, but I would hazard to say in my own opinion that this act of trying to gain your worship is more of a gradual, just like the bronze and serpent became this Nahashtan over seven centuries. I tell you, the first century when Moses was still alive, I think they'd be pretty scared to try to burn some incense to that thing. You remember Korah? Man, you remember when that earth opened up and all those rebels just got swallowed in? No, they were walking a little bit more gingerly, cautiously. They still had their problems. But over centuries, this Nahushtan, this became, this became the relic of all relics that they would burn incense and worship it. Over centuries, it gained capital. Over centuries, it gained margin in their culture, in their society. It gained following, capturing the heart of people rather than Christ in his beauty, in his salvation, in the work of God having its priority and having its proper placement in our lives. Christ being the center of our life, the center of our affections, the one in whom we're to worship with all our life in existence. It's the power of the gospel that converts a heart. And one of the main things that happens with the realignment of a heart is the realignment of the worship of your life. It has to happen. The realignment of the worship of your life. When the gospel gets a hold of us, when our lives are transformed. Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. 
for everyone who believes, first for the Jew and also for the Greek. For it is the righteousness of God, and it's revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. People of God, God has preserved you. God has preserved you as a people to worship him. Not allowing Nahashtans in your life. Grinding up any idols that have crept their way into our hearts and gained capital share and majority share, if you would, in our hearts. God has reserved you like he did Hezekiah all those years ago to preserve the line of Judah. The line, not lion, line of Judah. Hezekiah and Judah had to be saved. Even through going to Babylon, they had to be saved. There had to be Zerubbabel to rebuild. There had to be Ezra to rebuild the word. There had to be Nehemiah to rebuild the walls. There had to be these, these men and people of faith whom God reserved because it's from this line in where our Savior has come. And here we are all these generations later still battling, still battling for, for our hearts to be fully committed and devoted to Christ. Amen. Let's take our worship, even that which has been misplaced, and let's properly place it upon that, that center, high and lifted up pedestal in our life where the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus. Just close your eyes for a moment. Worship team, you can go ahead and come. The name of Jesus. The move of God, the work of God in your life holds majority share, holds your affections. Your affections are not being stolen. Your affections are not being crept upon. Hallelujah. In the mighty name of Jesus. Go ahead if you would stand to your feet. Hallelujah. We're just going to enter into a time of worship. God bless you for being in the house of the Lord. If you need to just come and to these altars, we'll pray for anybody who needs prayer today and just take our time with this. But just come and come and find a place of worship. Come and find a place. If, if that was you, I had just a check in my spirit. If that was you when we talked about Elijah, he, he prayed that he would die. If that's you today, come and find your self at this altar. Come and find a place where you can come and the Lord can speak to you if he has not done so already in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, we give you glory today. Jesus, I thank you for each person in the house of the Lord today. I thank you for those who are streaming in. I just pray for just continual health in the lives of the families and people in our community and the people connected to them. Lord, let, let just healing and health return into our homes, Lord. And we just give you all the glory and all the honor. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. And everybody said, amen. As the worship team leads, as you can go ahead and come. And